Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and, of course, the greatest of emergency medicine, where we are here to keep you up on the literature, and to do that, we spoon-feed it to you. If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, all great articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, get in touch. We'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Vivian Lay, Katan Patel, Karen Wolf, Dendra Cooper, and Clay Smith. Okay, everyone, so there's actually no article from Monday this week, but as you likely saw in the newsletter, we're making a few changes to the blog and the journal feed kind of generally. Namely, we're making sure that the service that we provide for you is something that truly takes an expert team of emergency physicians to bring you. More specifically, we want to make sure that we're doing something that chat GPT can't. We're going to focus a little bit more on how articles can be incorporated into your practice and how they meld with the real world. This includes critical appraisal, of course, which we've always done, and we'll try not to overdo here because we don't like to be too negative. After all, you know, summarizing an article, you know, that can mostly be done by a computer, and ChatGPT does a pretty darn good job. There won't be any big change for the podcast overall. I already can't help but give my opinion on things as things stand, but just more of a warning for the blog. All right, so let's get into uh, what would be the second article. Titled, Time to Recovery as Measured on Clinical Assessments After Sport-Related Concussion, out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay, so I can't say this article is going to do terribly much to change your practice in terms of making patients better, but it could help with expectation setting, and I think that's a huge important part of the emergency physician's job. Concussions are common. People are tall, their heads are heavy, so it's not that uncommon for people to fall down and your head goes boom and you're concussed. Being very clear about the expectations that patients can have for their recovery, well, you know, it's going to go a long way into making that recovery as good as it's probably going to get. You can also encourage some light exercise and to avoid screens, that might help as well. But as for the expectation recovery, which symptoms can you expect to last a long time and which are going to resolve quickly? I could say that I had no idea before encountering this article. These authors analyzed data from the CARE study, which included 2,800 athletes with concussions who had baseline testing so that we could compare their post-concussion scores to their pre-concussion scores, and that way we would know when they returned back to normal. This included measurements of balance, mental status, cognition, lots of other stuff that your brain is really good at when it doesn't have a concussion. They made some expected recovery curves from this data, and they found that most things will return to normal over a two to seven day period. However, visual memory and reaction time tend to take longer to recover, more like 14 to 18 days. Just take this as a rather rough estimate, though. It's quite hard to measure a number of these things with testing, and the authors were quite open about the limitations of this data, which had a lot of variability. Now, while I'm rarely so granular about concussion recovery with my patients as to break it down to specific symptom subtypes, 
Well, this might be nice to discuss with people who are a little bit more active, who really test themselves a little bit more, which would be probably athletes who tend to, you know, do some more demanding tasks that require very quick reflexes and stuff like that. In a spoonful, most concussion symptoms get better within a week, but visual memory and reaction times, it takes longer, more like two weeks. Then the third article titled 2023 Guideline for the Management of Patients with Aneurysmal Subarachnoid Hemorrhage, a guideline from the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association out of the journal Stroke. In all likelihood, the majority of subarachnoid hemorrhages, which I'm just going to call SAH, well, they're going to be traumatic. But the classic emergency department SAH is the aneurysmal one. We're talking about the infamous thunderclap headache. The AHA has been hard at work updating their guidelines on the management of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. Of course, we're just going to bring you the highlights because the actual document itself is more than 40 pages long. Now, just like everything in medicine, as it would seem, there is a clinical decision rule for subarachnoid hemorrhages. The Ottawa SAH rule, which can be used to rule out SAH in a small subset of patients. It's quite sensitive. But part of the rule is that the patient has to be less than 40 years old, and that certainly doesn't apply to many patients. For everyone else, you have the typical kind of diagnostic dilemma of SAH, which we are all fairly familiar with, and no huge changes here, but some nice recommendations. If the patient presents within six hours of symptom onset without any neurological deficit, then a non-contrast CT head is enough to rule out the diagnosis of SAH. If they come in after six hours and the patient has a negative CT head, then you should likely follow that up with an LP looking for xanthrochromia. Though the offers do offer that with low certainty evidence using a modern CT scanner, it has to be a modern CT scanner, then a non-contrast CT of the head may be enough to exclude SAH up to 24 hours after symptom onset, which would, which would be amazing. In this case, you have to keep in mind factors that might decrease the sensitivity of your CT scan though, like significant anemia, for example, which makes the blood less dense and thus harder to see on scan. Technically, the authors offer CTA as the next imaging modality as well as LP, but the guidelines recommend LP as the better choice since the sensitivity of a CTA of the head is less than perfect to detect or find an aneurysm. The definitive treatment is endovascular coiling or neurosurgical clipping of the culprit aneurysm, preferably within 24 hours because this is dangerous. We in the ER, of course, do not provide definitive management for this kind of thing, but we can be supportive in the meantime since many of these patients, depending on the center that you work at, will have to be transferred to a different center with neurosurgical expertise. Keep an eye on the blood pressure, too much variability, and the extremes of blood pressure are not going to be good for your patient, quite harmful. Keep a map above 65, which is true of just about every patient always. And then the systolic targets you want to be less than, they're not perfect, they're not certain. Previous guidelines have suggested keeping the systolic pressure less than either 160 or 180 though. Seizure prophylaxis is not recommended for everyone and phenytoin shouldn't be used because it's associated with higher mortality and morbidity. Discuss who's high risk for seizure prophylaxis with your specialists. You can use these guidelines to help you and some, do some shared decision making with your patient in the diagnosis of SAH. The guidelines still recommend an LP, but if you have a modern CT scanner, then you might be able to save your patient a poke in the back. 
in a spoonful. Those are the highlights of the most recent AHA aneurysmal SAH guidelines. Okay, let's do our wrap-up. What did we learn today? First off, post-concussion, you can warn your patients that their reaction time and their visual memory might take longer than pretty much everything else to recover. From the third article, we reviewed the most recent guidelines for aneurysmals SAH coming out from the AHA. Again, if you're hearing this, then you're not part of the members feed, and so you actually missed articles from this week. Those articles were about whether or not people are actually giving inhaled corticosteroids to asthma patients in the emergency department. Are your colleagues doing that? Are you doing that? And then the other article was about the risk of VTE after minor surgeries. Is it enough to even worry about? Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.